I don't know what I get more excited about when we do baptisms. Is it the folks who've made the decision to follow Christ? Certainly I'm very excited about that. But I absolutely love it when they're being baptized by a mother or a father or their small group leader from back in Kids Creek or in our student ministry or some other important influence. Like today we watched a young gal get baptized by her older sister who had a part in leading her to Christ. How exciting is that? Because that, I think, is a beautiful expression of what God is doing in and through the life of this church. Is that it includes all of us. All of us can have an impact in somebody else's life. And I appreciate those of you who serve in our children's ministry and our student ministries and throughout our church and our adult ministries to help create a context for people to consider their faith. You guys ready? I want you to imagine something. We're just imagining. I want you to imagine that you are approached by a Hollywood producer who has this great idea for a new reality TV series. And he's inviting you to come and be a part of it. Now, this particular series is about ordinary people going about ordinary lives. It's not a reality TV show about superstars or celebrities. It's not a reality TV show about like uber wealthy jet setters. It's not a reality TV show about narcissistic housewives from New Jersey. <laughs> it's a reality TV show about everyday Americans going on about their everyday life, like, like you and me. So imagine cameras and microphones and production crews following you throughout your day, your week, and your month, while the producer is trying to create the story of how you go about your life from day to day. This isn't a show about like those intimate or private moments of your life. It's just like, where does your time go? Where is your energy spent? Where, if we just take a simple observation of your life, what are the most obvious ways that you go about living from day to day? That's what the show's about. So what would it be for you? Maybe for some of you, the first observation of your episode would be that you work a lot. Now that's not, that's not a, a, a criticism. Is that you're a hard worker. You're an industrious person. You're a loyal and diligent employee. You are a person that can be trusted to do your job and to do it well. And that is obvious. And then when you're not at work, what's obvious about your life is that you are, you are committed to your family. You and your spouse, you take the regular practice of once a week having a date night. Nothing big and fancy or sophisticated, just the two of you getting to spend some time together as husband and wife rather than always being mommy and daddy. And you're also committed to your children. Maybe you coach your son's little league baseball team. You're at every one of your daughter's dance recitals. You go everywhere your kids go and you are actively engaged in being a part of their life and you are making an investment in the kind of young people that they become and when you're not at work 
and you're not chasing after your kids and you have a little bit of spare time, maybe, maybe you really enjoy playing tennis. And you get together with a couple of your buddies and you go and you play a couple hours of tennis and lately you've been playing a lot of pickleball because that seems to be the rage. When you're not at work, you're not chasing after the kids and you're not playing tennis, maybe, maybe another thing that would be obvious about your life is your devotion to Jesus Christ as your Savior. Your faith in God. You attend church regularly on a Sunday as a way to worship Him. And throughout the week, you pick up your Bible and you spend a few minutes studying it. You spend some time in prayer and reflecting on what it is that it means to have a relationship with God. Now, now I can't promise that that's going to make your episode. Not because you don't do it, but because that's not really Hollywood's agenda these days. Or maybe your story would be really different. Maybe you're retired. And with your free time, you spend a lot of time playing a lot of golf. You love golf. If the day ends in Y, you're probably playing golf. You play at your home course. You play at courses throughout the area. You love to play in tournaments. You have a gaggle that you play in every, Saturday, every Thursday. You love to play golf, and you play a lot of it. And when you're not playing golf, you love to volunteer throughout your community. Maybe you help deliver meals to seniors through Meals on Wheels. Maybe you help over at uh, Hill Country Daily Bread from time to time, making sure that under-resourced families have some things that they need. And from time to time, maybe once a month, you, you serve in a local animal shelter, just being a friend to some dogs and some cats until they find their forever homes. And when you're not doing that, maybe you love to cook. And you love to have friends come over to your house. Maybe a couple of weekends a month, you invite friends to come over on a Saturday night. And you cook a great big meal. And you sit around just enjoying the company of really, really good friends. And when you have a couple of spare moments, you like to read some of your favorite authors. And you have some of your favorite shows that you follow on Netflix or on Hulu. What would the story of your life be about? Well, it's in that way that we get to understand what Jesus was like. Now, we don't get to watch a show about the life of Jesus. What we have is we have four documents in the New Testament that were written by people who either knew Jesus personally or they knew people who knew Jesus. These four documents we refer to as the Gospels, written by Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Now, Matthew and John, they were disciples of Jesus. They were eyewitnesses of his life. They knew the things he said. They knew the places that he went. They knew that the, peop the people that he interacted with. They were eyewitnesses who put together an account of the life of Jesus. Now, Luke and Mark, they weren't disciples of Jesus. But they knew people that knew Jesus. They knew people who had been around Jesus when he was saying the things that he did, that he said, or the things that he did. And they compiled a collection of observations about Jesus. And so what we've been discovering and what we've been exploring this fall is some of the obvious things about the life of Jesus that we observe through reading the four Gospels. Does that make sense? And here's what we've learned. We've learned 
coming up here any minute now. We learn this, that Jesus spent a lot of his time serving people in need. He had a heart of compassion for people who had needs, and he very intentionally did what he could to be of help to them. Jesus, he spent a lot of time connecting with what he considered family, not just his blood relatives, but people who shared a faith in God like he did. He considered them his brothers and his sisters, and he spent a lot of time cultivating that relationship with them. We see that one of the obvious things that Jesus did is that he shared God's truth with other people. And we're going to talk about that here this morning. He mentored others in his faith. When you think about what his disciples were, they were actually mentees that he was having an influence and developing as people who understood what it meant to have faith in God. And then we see one of the obvious things that Jesus did is he made sacrifices the ultimate act of his life was an act of sacrifice that he made for the good of others. But today and next Sunday, I want to talk about Jesus's interest in and commitment to telling other people about his father in heaven. About inviting people to a journey of faith. See, here's what I've come to understand is if I step back and look at the four Gospels and try to figure out the obvious things from Jesus' life, what we find is that he had a particular interest. He talked about spiritual things. We'll define that in a moment. Jesus talked about spiritual things every chance he got with anybody who'd listen to what he had to say. And here's some of the spiritual things that were important to Jesus as he had conversations with all types of people. He talked about God's truth as opposed to what perhaps the world believed to be true. He talked a lot about faith, trust in an unseen God who's an active part of our lives. He talked about sin he talked about it in a number of different expressions. He talked about worry. He talked about lust. He talked about being judgmental and critical of others. And he talked about gossip. He talked about sin in a variety of ways as to show that all of us are guilty of having done things that are a violation of God's holiness, of God's law. But he had good news. He talked a lot about repentance. That a human being who is a sinner can come to a place of changing their mind about who God is and who they are in relationship to God. He talked a lot about salvation. And he talked a lot about eternity. He talked about heaven. And he talked about hell. And he talked about these kinds of things with individuals. And with small groups of people. And with large groups of people and with massive crowds. He talked about it with people who were genuinely interested in who he was. And he had these conversations with people who wanted to see him dead. But what we see is Jesus was committed to talking with people about spiritual things with anybody who would listen to him. And he seemed to have a very particular kind of approach. 
Jesus talked about spiritual things every chance he got with anybody who'd listened to what he had to say. But what I find unique in a study of the life of Jesus is that Jesus seemed to steer everyday conversations about life in the direction of discussions about God. That Jesus would engage people in just normal conversations about the kinds of things that we're interested in, but he had a way of turning that conversation into a discussion about God and who he was. Here's, here's just a couple of examples that we see throughout the Gospels of somebody having a conversation about, with Jesus about one thing and then Jesus turning the conversation. Look at this. Um, we find this in the Gospel of Matthew that the disciples were in a boat. And when they went across the lake, the disciples, they forgot to take bread. They hadn't brought some provisions for where they were headed. So they're thinking about bread like literal, tangible loaves of bread. And then Jesus said, uh, be careful, guys. Be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And the disciples are scratching their head and they discussed it among themselves and said, wait, wait a second. Is it because we didn't bring, well, how, how did we get here? And Jesus said, you have little faith. Why are you talking among yourselves about having no bread? Do you, do you still not understand what it is that I'm trying to teach you about the way life works? Here's another illustration. Mark chapter 10. People were bringing little children to Jesus. He was a rabbi in the community. They were bringing children to Jesus for him to place his hands on them. It was sort of like a, a social blessing to have the rabbi Put his hands on your child and pray for them. But the disciples rebuked the people who were bringing the little children. And when Jesus saw this, he was indignant. And he said to them, guys, guys. That's my interpretation of that. He says, let, let the little children come to me. Let the little children come in. Do not hinder them for, and he turns the conversation. He, for the kingdom of God belongs to people who have sort of an innocence about them like we see in children. Truly, I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. And he took the children in his arms and he placed his hands on them and he blessed them. They came talking about children, but he ends up talking about what it means to have the kind of faith to enter the kingdom of God. Another illustration in Luke chapter 12. Someone said in the crowd, someone in the crowd said to him, teacher, again, he was a rabbi. People came to him for advice and for guidance. Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Evidently, there was some sort of a family conflict over how the, the inheritance would be distributed. And this person saying, Jesus, will you tell your brother to divide it up with me? And Jesus replied, man, I wonder how he said that. Man, who appointed me as judge or arbiter between the two of you? Then he said to them, he turns the conversation. He says, watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. So somebody comes to him with a conversation about an inheritance. 
And Jesus starts talking about the heart and what's in there. And so he continues this discussion. He says, and he told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? I, I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, well, this is what I'll do. I'll just tear down the barns that I have. I'll, I'll build bigger ones. And there I'll store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. I'm set. I'm taken care of. I'll take life easy. I'll eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to this man, you fool. This very night, your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you've prepared for yourselves? This is how it'll be with whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich as God defines rich. Starts in one conversation. Jesus turns it into another discussion. Then probably the classic conversation that Jesus has in the gospel with somebody who's thinking one thing and he turns it into another is found in the gospel of John chapter four. Now, Jesus had learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John, although the fact it was not John, Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. So he left Judea and he went back once more to Galilee. Now he took a very particular path. He he had to go back through Samaria, which wasn't really on his way. He was going there very intentionally. And so he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. And Jacob's well was there. And Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, he sat down by that well. And it was about noon, the middle of the day. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? Luke makes the note that his disciples weren't there at the time they had gone into town to buy food. And the Samaritan woman said, wait a second, you're a Jew, a Jewish man, and I'm a Samaritan woman. How, how can you ask me for a drink for another note? Jews do not associate with Samaritans. There was a lot of bad blood between these two groups of people. And Jesus answered her. If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with and the well is very deep. Where can I get this living water that you're talking about? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us this well and drank from it himself as did also his sons and his livestock? And Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water, the one that you came to draw, everyone who drinks this water, they'll be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst again. 
Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water, welling up to eternal life. You see, she came looking for physical water. And Jesus used that topic to steer the conversation toward spiritual water. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. That's just a couple of examples where we see in the Gospels where Jesus had a knack. He had a way of taking everyday conversations and turning them into a discussion about faith or spiritual things. Now, I think I know what you're thinking. Because I think it. You're thinking, yeah, but Paul, uh, Jesus was God. I mean, he, he could do that sort of thing. He had that sort of knowledge. He had that sort of charisma. He had that sort of ability about him. He was God. He had a way of turning conversations toward more important spiritual matters. But here's my problem with that. When we say Jesus had a way, when we say Jesus had a knack, what we're inferring is, is that that was some unique divine ability that he possessed because he was God. It's not something that you and I could do as mere human beings. He was different than us and therefore he was really good at that sort of thing, but Here's what I'm going to say to you. I don't believe that was a divine ability. Now listen to me. I believe that Jesus was divine. And I believe that he had supernatural ability. But I don't think that his ability to turn conversations of everyday topics into spiritual discussions. I don't think that was a divine ability. Because I believe that you and I, as mere human beings... We have that ability. But we can learn some things from Jesus about why we would even bother having conversations with people about faith. And I think the thing that we see about Jesus is that he was full of compassion for people's well-being. He never met anybody that he didn't truly love, that he was concerned about and interested in. I think Jesus understood that spiritual topics, faith in God, there wasn't another topic that was more important than that. And I think Jesus lived with a certain urgency a certain urgency for why people needed to understand topics of faith in God. Did you follow that? So I think Jesus turned everyday conversations toward God because his compassion for everybody he met and his understanding of the importance of faith created in him a deep sense of urgency to engage people into those types of conversations and discussions. You see, in the mind of Jesus, there wasn't anything in all of life that was more important to talk about 
than spiritual things, than eternal things. There wasn't anything in his mind that was more important because Jesus believes there isn't anything more important. I think Jesus started everyday conversations with people in order to turn it toward things of spiritual matters. I think if you look at the life of Jesus in the Gospels and what he talked about and how he talked about things, I think we have ample clues to come to the conclusion that he could talk about just about anything. And the Gospels are full of topics that Jesus either raises or are raised to him. Here, here's just some of them. He talked about animals, foxes, and birds. He talked about weather. He talked about architecture and illness. And he talked about politics and farming and fishing and business and celebrations of life. He talked about marriage. He talked about family. He talked about divorce. He talked about people who were widows. He talked about people who were servants. He talked about death, religion, culture, history, money, leadership, relationships. He, he could talk about all sorts of topics. You ready? No, you ready? Thank you. Unless you receive the kingdom like one child. Okay, listen, folks, this is so important. Jesus talked about a lot of normal, everyday topics, but they weren't the only things that he talked about. And if I could get just a bit more specific, Jesus talked a lot about normal everyday topics. You ready? He never talked about those things to avoid talking about more important things. Like the topic of faith in God. Do you understand that? Jesus welcomed conversations about all sorts of topics with somebody. But he never used those topics to avoid the uncomfortable discussions that come with spiritual things. So what does that mean to us? Well, if we're here today and... We say we're Christians, and that means we're to be disciples of Jesus in the 21st century. So if we see Jesus talking to people about faith in God, and we are his disciples, then we too ought to be talking to people about faith in God. Did you follow that? I'm sorry, did you... If Jesus models talking to people about important spiritual topics and we say we are his disciples, we're followers of Jesus, then, then we too ought to be people who engage others in conversations about spiritual things. I'm absolutely convinced that if Jesus walked the earth here today like he did in the first century... There's lots of things that he could talk about. He'd love to talk about sports. He'd love to talk about the Rangers' recent win of the World Series. Oh, Astro fans, I see. 
I think Jesus would be very conversant in the fact that if you haven't gone past the first round of the playoffs in 26 years, you can no longer be America's team. <laughs> That's for you, Kristen. He could talk about sports. He could talk about weather. He'd want to talk about how hot this summer was and how beautiful the last couple of weeks have been. He could talk about jobs and careers. He'd love to talk to you about your children and all the things that they're into. And he could talk about politics. But I don't think Jesus would talk about politics like we talk about politics. It's interesting as an observer of politics, how politicians use Jesus. It's interesting that I think Democrats think Jesus would have been a Democrat. <laughs> and Republicans think Jesus would have been a Republican. And I think we would be very surprised that Jesus wouldn't be the least bit interested in what side of the aisle somebody was on. What Jesus would be interested in is in the morality and the ethics of how people live their lives. He'd be happy to talk with you about politics, but be prepared. It might not go like you think it would go. And I can assure you that Jesus would be very interested in talking about world events. And he would have a very particular and passionate viewpoint about what's happening in Israel. Because he's a Jew who came from Israel. And the whole book about his story takes place in Israel. And everything that God offers the world comes through Israel. And when he returns to this earth, guess where he's going to return? He's going to return to Israel. Jesus could talk about any of these topics but they wouldn't be the only topics that he would talk about. Those conversations wouldn't stop there because in his mind, there's always more important things to talk about. He would take every one of those topics and he'd want to talk about truth and what it is to live by faith. And he'd want to talk about sin in all of its different expressions that we see in everyday life. He'd want to talk about repentance. We see Jesus hanging out with all sorts of sordid types of lifestyles. But hanging out with them was not his way of approving their lifestyle. It was having an influence on them to invite them to change from the way they were living. And he'd do that today. He'd want to talk about the salvation that is available to human beings who are separated from a holy, righteous God because of their sin. And he'd want to talk about eternity. You know, heaven and hell. Why? Because in the mind of Jesus... There's no other topic in all of life that's more important than these. 
Jesus never met somebody that his sincere love for them didn't move him to take a genuine interest in their spiritual well-being. And as his disciples, we have to ask ourselves honestly, is that how I engage my conversations with people? Is that how I have conversations with my friends? Or would I just be much more comfortable to talk about sports all night? Are my relatives or my children, classmates that I go to school with, teammates that I play sports with, peers that I go to work with, just acquaintances that I know from around town and even complete strangers. Do I ever, like Jesus, see everybody through the eyes of compassion that causes me a concern for their spiritual health and well-being? I just have to be honest with this. And I'm talking about myself as much as anybody in the room. All too often, too many Christians. We engage in all kinds of conversations, but we're always reluctant and resistant to ever move those conversations toward things of spiritual worth. We'd much rather talk about sports or the weather or politics or world events than ever engage a family member or a friend or appear from work in a conversation about spiritual truth. Why? Why are we resistant? Why are we reluctant? Well, how honest do you want to be? The explanation that I hear the most often about why somebody is is not willing to have spiritual conversations with people that they know and love is, first of all, they say, Paul, I'm afraid. I'm afraid they're going to ask me a question I don't know how to answer. I'm afraid that they're going to think that I'm just one of those weird Christian types that annoy me. I'm afraid. I'm afraid, Paul. I just don't know my Bible enough to be able to answer somebody's questions. I'm afraid. They might tell me to bug off and that they don't ever want to hang out with me again. I'm, I'm afraid. That makes sense. But that's reparable. You can fix that. You can get to know your faith well enough to be able to answer questions that people ask and engage in conversations about important spiritual topics. But there's another reason or two. And the second one may be this. We just don't care. We just don't care what they think about those things. We just don't care what they believe. We just don't care about the choices they make. 
Now, we squirm, we say, no, Paul, it's not because I don't care. Well, then what is it? Could it be that we don't really believe like we say we do? I mean, we say we believe that Jesus is God. We, we say that we believe Jesus is the savior of the world. We say that we believe that sin separates us from a holy God and leaves us condemned before him. We say that we believe in places like heaven and we believe in places like hell. But we don't believe it enough to ever be concerned about somebody else's relationship to it all. So then... We're right back to where we started. We, we just don't care. I hate snakes. Can I get an amen? amen. Particularly rattlesnakes. You know, as a runner... If I ever do any trail running, and those of you who may do the same, you know that every stick is a snake. <laughs> but rattlesnakes rattle me. So let me ask you a question. Let's say your son or your daughter or one of your grandchildren are over at your house. You have one of those little plastic playscapes in the backyard. And while you're going out for them to play in the plastic playhouse, you notice a rattlesnake crawls up underneath that house. What do you do? <laughs> but here's what I know you won't do. You won't just let them go in and play because you were afraid. Oh, they looked like they were going to have so much fun. I didn't want to stop them. And I certainly know you wouldn't not care. Because you understand the importance and the urgency of a life-threatening situation. You, you wouldn't rationalize in your head like, well, well, maybe he won't bite her. Maybe, maybe it's not really as dangerous as some say. No, you would step in his path. So we say that we believe that people without Jesus as their savior will spend eternity separated from God in hell. We say we believe that. But for some reason, we can't stop talking about sports or the weather or politics. Peter writes to the early church, always be prepared to give an answer, to have a conversation, to engage in a discussion with anyone who asks you, would you please explain the hope that you have as a Christian? You don't have to be a jerk about it. You don't have to be judgmental. You don't have to be aggressive. You don't have to be obnoxious. Just do this with gentleness and respect. But whatever you do, do it. 
Because their eternity hangs in the balance. Let me give you the number one easiest rule for sharing your faith with other people without coming across as arrogant, insensitive, judgmental, aggressive, opinionated, or annoying. Did I get them all? Would you be interested in that? This works every time. I've been using it for years. It's my favorite approach to engaging people in conversations about spiritual things. Always come from curious. You don't have to be the expert. You don't have to have all the answers. And you certainly don't have to be their judge because you're not their judge. Just ask questions. Ask questions. I'm curious. Did you grow up in a home that was religious? What do you think about God? What do you think about weird Christians? What do you think about what the Bible has to say about this? And then just listen. Be the seeker. Be the learner. Just find out their story. So then you can share your story. That then opens the door to share God's story with them. Just come from curious. You'd be surprised how well it works if Christians don't come across as being the answer man or the judge, but just somebody who's interested in another person's story. Jesus loved people so much that he talked to them about important truths of God that he knew were vital to their life. And the question then is, do you? Do you? Make sense? Thanks for thinking about it. Let me ask you to stand together. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we learned so much from your son Jesus that we see described for us in vivid detail in the pages of the gospel. We can't read the gospels without seeing that he had this compassion for people that moved him to talk about important things that have eternal kind of urgency. As men and women and students, children who are endeavoring to be more like Jesus, to follow him as one of his disciples in the 21st century. Give us the courage, the confidence, and the conviction to be concerned about the people that we know in our life. And grant us the opportunities to have conversations with them about important spiritual matters of life and death. I pray and ask this in Christ's name. Amen.
Thank you, everybody. Have a great week. We'll see you next Sunday.